Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. Smash Pop. Smash Pod, the podcast celebrating all the Bond films by those who enjoy, hate, or, you know, just aren't asked about them. Hosted by me, John Rain. We'll be delving deeply into Bond, tackling a different film each week with an exciting guest by my side. Now, episode 13 brings us the Tarzan swinging hijinks in India of Octopussy. And my special guest this week is comedian Glenn Moore, who can be found on Twitter as The News at Glenn. That's a great handle. Thank you very much. News at Glenn. How long did it take you to come up with that? I was studying journalism at the time, and our tutor at university said, if you're not on Twitter, you need to get it now. And so she forced me to get Twitter there and then yeah. in the room, and she went, you need to come up with a Twitter handle. And Glenn Moore was taken, and it just—it was just there. Just the music Glenn just seemed to make sense at the time. It's wonderful. Thank you. Really, you should be proud of yourself. Thanks a lot. You know, for something you've just come up with, it's very good. Anyway, so Octopussy. Now, you mentioned to me before you hadn't seen it before. No, this was completely new to me. Oh. I had seen probably half of the Roger Moore ones. Yeah, haven't seen all the Roger Moore ones, and so this was one of the ones I had never really had much of a desire to see because it. From what's usually discussed about James Bond films, this one didn't appear to have one of those iconic moments where you go, I need to see that because of this. Like, you need to see uh, You Only Live Twice because of the plane. You, know, you need to see Goldeneye because of the dam. Yeah. Those sort of iconic moments. Octopussy yeah. didn't appear to have those, no. so I've just avoided it up to now. So more meets more. A hundred percent, yeah. My, yeah. my name is Glenn Roger Moore. Oh, really? Yeah, and my, my dad is called Roger Moore. That is amazing, but he's not obviously... He's not the Roger Moore. No. Otherwise, I would be probably be quite unhappy right now. You would. But do you know what happened, actually? It was I got all these texts from friends of mine the other day thinking they were being hilarious, sending me texts saying, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. Yeah. That's a horrible text to receive when you don't know that Sir it Roger is. Moore has died, because you think, what the hell has happened? Yeah. Uh, so immediately, uh, frenzied phone calls trying to be like, is everything all right? And they're like, yeah, right. Oh, so, in which case, fact, Sir Roger Moore has died. In actual fact, your dad's Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> so, complete mix up. Um, so Octopussy kicks off with Bond uh, having to disguise himself as a man called Toro. Yeah, do you know what? It was such a weird opening. It felt like in this film, mm. and in some of Roger Moore's other ones, that he's very much a spy who leaves his job at the office. He, as yeah. soon as he's done for the day, then he clocks off. And so the, the fact that he turns up at the beginning 
dressed as like Nigel Farage, like and he's sort of real, like as if he's at some sort of farmer's market auctioning a pig. Yeah. And then gets into his disguise was so ridiculous. It was yeah. like, just prepare before you leave. Yeah. It was really, really strange. The um, the beginning, it, it's a really underwhelming beginning. Yeah. Because it's got that standard Bond, very long, supposedly action-packed intro before we get to the opening credits. But there's something about the early James Bond films, and I think even though this was 1983, this can still sort of be categorised as the early ones. Yeah. I think almost anything before Pierce Brosnan now is categorised as early, because if you look at... It, the difference between the last Timothy Dalton one and Goldeneye, the difference in how films are made yeah. is so vast. Mm. And it feels like everything before Goldeneye just feels like that very old-fashioned style of filming where there's there's like little to no atmosphere. Yeah. And the beginning of Octopussy Red just feels like there's no tension. The music that's played that would usually underlie a scene just doesn't exist. And when it would usually... You'd imagine the Bond theme plays at a really sort of exciting moment of a film. It doesn't. The music plays at really dull moments where he's just in his pyjamas walking around a hotel. You say there's no tension, but you do forget that he dresses up as a general in front of the actual general he's pretending to be. That's quite intense. This is a film as well where Bond uses other people's outfits Mm. more frequently than he normally would. For instance, like the uh, knife-throwing brothers. He he knocks one of them out or or kills them immediately after they've just done a show and wears their clothes. And it's like, that shirt and waistcoat combination must be so sweaty. If that person's just performed in a live circus in front of hundreds of people. That's a good point. I know it's such an old trope of sort of like, why do their clothes always fit when the spy tries them on? But also it's just like how cloying it would be. I hate to wear someone else's clothes. But really, Bond should have incapacitated the general. Uh, yeah, that, the that's a really, it's a really strange opening. Yeah. It's a really strange opening as well where the people he does knock out, he knocks out with very little regard for whether or not he might get caught immediately. Because he knocks someone out in such a busy sort of air hangar hmm. that surely there's, that body's going to be discovered within seconds. Yeah. I, I can't think of anywhere, apart from like in the privacy of my own home, I can't think of anywhere I can knock someone out and think, well, they'll go undetected for a while. Like, if you're just going to leave the body right there in front of their computer. A gym. Um, but yeah I mean because he gets caught because the man he's pretending to be walks in and goes hang on that's me but it's not (laughs) is there a glitch in the matrix some utterly bizarre stuff happens in the Roger Moore films and it's often unclear whether or not it's intentionally funny Mm. because Roger Moore always looks like he's playing these things for comedy it very rarely looks like he's being sincere and I think at this stage as well considering this was I don't think this is his last one no it's his penultimate right and so he's very clearly too old for the role at this stage really visibly too old 56 it's it's just ridiculous it's so ridiculous because you sort of think he can't be active he can't take on a twenty like because I've no I've never encountered a henchman Mm. but I imagine henchmen would be hired by those sort of like G4 SS companies who hire stewards for sports matches they hire people who are at university at the moment you know they they hire like 19 20 year olds there's no way Roger Moore would be able to take any of them on it's like Roger Moore has made the film himself and gone see I can I can do this yeah it's really strange. But he's lucky because he's captured, but he's captured by the two horniest guards in the world. Yeah. <laughs> because he gets that girl to drive up alongside, show him a bit of leg. That's really weird as well. Yeah. In that, I, I guess, obviously, the thing is, I keep forgetting that this film isn't from the 60s. Yeah. And so when, for instance, she shows a bit of leg and the, the guys are all distracted as they're driving alongside the vehicle, I was sort of like, what? And then I was like, oh, no, wait, it's an old film. 
that sort of stuff was really enticing back then. But no, it's the 80s. Yeah. I'm sure people were like long past that. How repressed yeah. were these guards that that's the most I've ever seen? Well, from South America, they might be in some sort of regime where they're not allowed to look at legs. <laughs> Could have existed. Or maybe it's the sort of like, oh, it's legs, but at speed. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. look, they're in, they're in the context of a car. Like the film Crash. Yeah. And she's going to crash. In yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I can achieve an erection. <laughs> um, Bond even gives them a sort of, oh, look at that. He does that on, on at least three occasions where he's got a task to complete and he gets distracted by a girl and you expect him to look at the camera and go, do you see what I get to see? Yeah, like, yeah. It even happens at the end with the one really tense bit of a film, The Train Journey. He looks through the window and there's a woman getting a massage and yeah. he's sort of like, Whoo, and it's like, you're going to die if you don't keep moving. There's no sense of priority. Yeah. The film, it's the closest that, in terms of tone, the gap between Roger Moore and Daniel Craig mm. is greater than the gap between Roger Moore and Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose because I am very much a, a child of the 90s, that the first Bond film I saw was in the 21st century. The first Bond film I saw was World Is Not Enough. Okay. And then the second one I saw was Goldeneye. And I think it's not necessarily that the first Bond film you see is going to be your favourite Bond film, no. but it very much paves the way for that's the standard by which you judge the other Bond films in terms of how, how the films progress. And so even Pierce Brosnan ones, which are quite camp and cheesy, there's such a big gap between the Pierce Brosnan films and the Roger Moore films. And it's a bit like if, for instance, you'd only seen the Christian Bell Batmans and you were like, I want to watch some more. And someone goes, you need to see the Adam West ones. And where it's just Adam West going, some days you just can't get rid of the bar. Yeah. It's, it's just a completely different universe. They yeah. don't, those bonds can't exist in the same environment. It's so utterly preposterous. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, Roger Moore is the Adam West of James Bond. Yeah, 100%. Because everyone buys into the campness. It's very charming. And I think what he did was the first couple he did were... I mean, because ones like Spy Love Me are legitimately really, really good. Moonraker's yeah. the worst it gets, I think. That by that point, it's like, I don't think this is... I don't even think this is a film. But, like, Spy Love Me is really, really good. Yeah. Everything about it's excellent. And I think what happened was he built up this sense of sort of goodwill from the audience that we were willing to sort of indulge him because he is a likeable James Bond. Yeah. I think because it's so preposterous. Yeah, but you get the opening credits, but after the opening credits, you get like a weird cheese dream of a clown being chased by a knife thrower. Yeah, well, even the opening credits were weird because... This was a really rare occasion where I saw a James Bond film and I was like, when the opening credits started, I was like, I've legitimately, I've never heard this song before. Oh, really? (laughs) 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 What song is that? Oh, it's called All Time High. Who who sang it? Uh, Rita Coolidge. I've never heard of that, her, or nothing. (laughs) I started laughing during the opening credits. It's like the film had existed in a vacuum. Because most of the Bond themes you've at least heard on the radio at some point. I mean, some don't... Like, for instance, if you heard Skyfall being played on the radio today, you wouldn't be like, why is that being played on the radio? It's still a standalone, a good song. Yeah. Some don't, you'd be really surprised if you heard Madonna's Die Another Day, sure. You'd be upset as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But this song, I was just, I, I genuinely couldn't tell you how it goes. And by the time the chorus started, I'd forgotten how the verse went. It's mm. like utterly forgettable. Well, in many ways, it matches the film, because a lot of people, including me, sometimes forget Octopus exists. I think that the thing is, the title is so striking. Again, as it's a bit like, I suppose, someone who gets a tiny bit into drugs... And as a result, they need to get stronger and stronger drugs to buy the end there. They're on the most extreme stuff you can get. And it's like this film has been made by a Bond addict mm-hmm. who's 
had to accentuate every single aspect of James Bond. And so the idea of having someone with a, an innuendo-laden name has just been taken to the extreme, where that title is not an innuendo. Well, it does. It's utterly bizarre. It does nearly blow his mind later when she's got that tattoo and he says, what's that? And she says, that's my little octopusy. And he, he basically ejaculates. It's weird the first time you sort of see it written down. It's on the train yeah. at the end. And... I think you sort of see that title and you sort of think, well, this is just going to be this sort of sex craze sort of film. And it's like, I've sort of gone, no, 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 don't worry. It, it's about circus. Mm-hmm. That's worse. Yeah. That's much worse. Yeah. Which I suppose, again, brings us on to the, uh, the fever dream mm. regarding the clown. There are too many, uh, right, zero clowns is enough clowns for a Bond film. One clown is, re- is 100% enough for a Bond film because obviously you're aware that in the reality of James Bond, jobs like clowns would exist. Yeah. But it's just really strange to see them in that environment. Well, I was just thinking, wouldn't there be a better disguise, really? Just for your own dignity. Circus has many things. You could be a lion tamer. Mm. You could be a ringmaster. You could be a trapeze artist. They bring so many of those exotic jobs into the world. It felt a bit like the film had been made by someone who's been to the circus for the first time as well. Yeah. Especially when he has that fight in that market. And you've got these people... It's like when you go to Leicester Square and you've got someone dressed as Yoda or someone doing drawing caricatures. Yeah. He goes to that market and there's like a snake charmer, there's someone walking on hot coals, there's a sword swallow, and he utilises every single one of those things. Those three things are absolutely imperative. They're, they're so important for the fight. And it's so ridiculous that they all, they're all used by men and Hang on, are you saying it's ridiculous that a man is lying on a bed of nails and a man gets thrown on them and the man says, I'm in the man, <laughs> get off of my bed. Are you suggesting that is a ridiculous moment? It's, it's, it's also really bizarre that, like, I think the thing about the bed of nails is that a bed of nails is so full of nails that you can't get impaled on it because they're so closely packed together. The, that guy would have had to have fallen with so much force to just fall on that and die. The guy falls on the hot coals and just immediately is just in agony. And then the sword swallower as well, it was, it was really stupid. And actually, as well, the snake charmer, this is it's really meta, the snake charmer plays the Bond thing. Yeah. And so James Bond turns around as if to be like, that's for me. Yeah. It's re- and you sort of think, are you aware yeah. that that's your song? It's like the Truman Show. It's very much like the Truman yeah. Show. It's really, really strange. Which would make sense, because he gets away with everything. I imagine it's a bit like sort of watching the world through Donald Trump's eyes, where <laughs> with Donald Trump, you imagine like someone could throw a grenade at Donald Trump, and it's like a Mr. Magoo thing, where he like picks up a grenade and goes, hmm, what's this? He throws it behind him, and it blows up the people who threw it in the first place. Yeah. That's kind of what this film is like. You, you never really feel confident in James Bond's abilities. You just know he's going to succeed but you don't know if that's going to be through his own ability to succeed or just through pure coincidence. Did you spot Mark Heap round up? That, right. So, first things first, no. Secondly, that's an awful lot to take in one yeah. sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Mark Heap was in this. You know Mark Heap is, right? Yeah. Because yeah. he used to be like a street performer. Right. I think that's how he started. And there's a man, an Indian man in inverted commas, juggling fire. And if you look, it's Mark Heap round up with a beard drawn on him. I, like, in many ways I was impressed yeah. by... So Octopussy was more progressive than I anticipated it to be. Yeah. By which I mean, Octopussy was only very racist. <laughs> and I thought it was going to be a lot more racist. Yes. But for instance, when he tips the candy and he goes, that should keep you in curry for a few weeks. Yeah. That, that like, drew an audible gasp from me and a sort of, Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's like watching your grandparents be in a bonfire. It's genuinely difficult to watch sometimes. And to, to the extent where whenever you see someone who isn't, a white male in his 50s, you tense up because you're like, well, how's he going to speak to this person? Yeah. Genuinely sometimes uncomfortable. Like Prince Philip. 
It's very much like Prince Philip, yeah. It's a bit weird, because his um, companion in India, in real life at the time, was a professional tennis player. So it'd be a bit like Andy Murray being in the next Bond film. God, that's really weird, isn't it? Yeah, they obviously thought, well, do you know any Indian people who play tennis? We'll have him. I feel like they could have made India look nice. There's something about those those early, basically anything pre-Brosnan. That they just have this almost unique ability to make every exotic location just look crap. There's no sort of sweeping shots of a beautiful landscape. Everything looks just dull, arid landscape, yeah. no matter where they are. It's like those were the cheapest locations. They're sort of like, I'm afraid we can only film around the back of an airport. That's mm. the only place we can go where it's just shrubs. That, that, that's all. We, that's the only place we can film in. That's kind of what it felt like. Presumably it was a saga holiday. Because <laughs> of the age. But yeah, I mean, it's just, they obviously got this tennis player and they were like, well, well let's put a tennis scene in yeah. there to utilise his skills. Because he gets in the tuk-tuk with Bond and if you notice, he gets in and he sticks his tennis racket down the back of the seat. Yeah, yeah. Like he takes it everywhere with him. It's just quite cheap, quite yeah. cheap to be sort of like well let's use every item and the gag where he hits them and the crowd go ooh ooh like they used to do in the tennis there's so many sort of very basic jokes and by the end they all become a bit dick related like for instance Bond when he slides down the banister and he hurriedly sort of shoots the banister so that it doesn't protrude Mm. and then there's another one immediately afterwards but again it's like oh something nearly hits him in the dick that's really strange and it's sort of like you're impotent anyway you're like (laughs) this doesn't matter well, there's no evidence that he's impotent. He's satisfied some ladies in this. Okay. Eventually. Sterile. He's 100% yeah. definitely oh, yeah. sterile. Yeah, he's definitely sterile. Mm. But it makes me wonder that if these contacts in India had been like some sort of dildo salesman, <laughs> those scenes could have been a lot more interesting. Him batting away Indian people in a market with a giant cock. Had Roger Moore carried on doing Bond films, that was the next logical step. That's yeah. the only place you can go. What is the last Roger Moore film? A View to a Kill. Right, okay. Yeah. See, that's good. Do you think? In comparison to Octopussy. Yeah. And wh- yeah. When, when's Moonraker? Was that the one before that? Roger Moore films goes, Live and Let Die, Man with the Golden Gun, Spy Who Loved Me, Moonraker, For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, View to a Kill. And am I right in thinking that the George Lazenby film comes amidst the Roger Moore ones? No, it's... Uh, it comes amidst Sean Connery, and yeah. they go back to Sean Connery. For one film. That must have been the ultimate Roger. humiliation for George Lazenby, to then go, we've gone back to the original person. Well, he quit. Right, I thought it was a sacking. Yeah. Well, I think it was a bit of both. He didn't want to do it anymore because he got into counterculture and grew his hair and wasn't interested in Bond. Right, there are some good Roger... R- 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 I think maybe Roger Moore is the most polarising films, apart from maybe Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Timothy Dalton mostly sort of gets away with it. Timothy Dalton, I don't think, is anyone's least favourite Bond because the, they're all just good, they're quite gritty, they, they're yeah. fine. Mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan, go, it goes good, bad, good, bad. I think A Lord Is Not Enough is a very good Bond film. Uh-huh. Tomorrow Never Dies, I like, but I'm aware that no one else likes it. Someone mm-hmm. conceded it's a bad film, even though I enjoy it. And then Die Another Day was... I mean, I, I was probably only about 12 or 13 when it came out, but I was aware that it was ridiculous. How dare you be 12 or 13 when Die Another Day comes out? <laughs> disgusting. I'm talking to a child. Do <laughs> you know, one, one thing that's quite alarming about, I suppose, when, when Roger Moore inexplicably seems to meet a lot of very horny people in this film, <laughs> is that he does. it's so horrifying to watch him flirt. It's really... Does he flirt? Well, the scenes that you're aware that that's the aim of the scene. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's yeah. how it's been written. Yeah, yeah. It's not successful flirtation, no, no, no. but plot-wise, apparently so. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's what. And you worry, you sort of think, how much confidence did this give to people in their 50s and 60s? How much? That's a great point. Yeah. What, how did this affect society? But I, I think I've always found Bond films as like, and I'm sure so many other people do as well, or well, they certainly do, but, but it's a real event. You go along with your family to watch it at the cinema. They used to come out pretty much once every couple of years or so. And I think the idea, I'm almost entertained by the idea of a family happily going on to watch Octopussy 
and just being so disappointed. I can't imagine anyone leaving the cinema going, that was great. Yeah. It's probably someone's favourite Bond film. It's probably someone's favourite film. I, I have heard people say it's their favourite. It, it steps up. It really steps up. The last half hour or so, in fact, the second half, is so good in comparison to the first. The first is almost unsalvageable. See, I'm the other way around. Really? What yeah. did you like about the first half? I find the second half really difficult to sit through because you've got two plots running side by side and they don't really work together. Like the Stephen Burkhoff stuff about I'm a mad Russian and you've got Louis Jordan as Kamal Khan. The break-in at the end, which is after the circus, like the, the most tense bit of a film or the big climactic scene is the diffusing of the bomb. Yeah, but he's dressed as a clown. Right, that ruins it so much. I hate that it's in a circus. It annoys me because he's in a rush. He's like, I've got to get to this bomb. I've got to go to this bomb. He arrives at the base. He's like, right, I'm just going to spend 10 minutes dressing up as a clown. Yeah, like, just kill everyone. Just kill those people. He obviously has no problem killing people, so just do that. And then the idea that he then goes to people in the audience saying, there's a bomb, I've got to defuse it. And they all laugh at him. And it's like, firstly, I wouldn't laugh at a clown. Secondly, I certainly wouldn't laugh at a clown going, there's a bomb that's going to kill you. I'd be like, what? Yeah. Get away from me, Cloud. This is a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. But then after that is the weird circus-esque break-in where they use all these human pyramid artists. That are, it just feels like that all happens after the film. Octopus's troop. Yeah. It? Yeah. It's really strange. It is really strange. So when he then stays in the uh, sort of estate of Kamal Khan after that game of uh, backgammon where the guy angrily crushes the... That's one of the most ridiculous, foe-threatening bits in the film. Yes. Where he crushes dice and you sort of think, oh, what does that prove? What is that... Like, is that supposed to make you go, oh my God, this guy is so strong, he crushed dice? Like, I guess so, because they're already quite compact, but that's not frightening. When someone crushes something, you sort of think, well, how would that apply to part of my body? Yeah. And I sort of think, well, there's nothing in my body that's like dice. You know what I mean? Like, Testicles. Not like dice. Well, they're kind of like dice. Like, <laughs> two of them. It'd be more, it'd be more menacing if you like set fire to some tiddlywinks. Yes. Or like, ripped, yeah. up, ripped up all your trivial pursuit questions. Mm. Yeah. You know <laughs> the answers now. That, that bit of a film is quite odd and as well when he stays over I find it strange as well that you see James Bond wearing his pyjamas. Yes. I know that sounds like a weird thing to sort of pick up on but I think for me personally and maybe this is just very much like a 21st century thing but I think to be seen in public in your pyjamas, to be caught in your pyjamas, is a, to be in a very vulnerable situation. Yeah. Or maybe it's the complete opposite way around. For someone like Hugh Hefner, it's like, no, that's, that's the symbol of decadence right there. That's his costume. But for James Bond staying at someone else's place, it just seemed a bit odd. Yeah. And also when he, he goes for dinner, there's just three people, including him at the dinner table, and he's in his tuxedo mm-hmm. just think I, I wouldn't wear a tuxedo for hundreds of people why would no in front of two people you must feel so uncomfortable yeah and they give him a sheep's head do you know what that's the only genuinely troubling bit of a film that's yeah. like, that that really made me flinch it's not that is not a pleasant image at all it's like the temple of doom when they all have this that's what i was thinking pie thing. snake pie well it's just a snake yeah in, with it well it's a well, series I, of snakes I, I, within a snake i suppose that is a pie then isn't it mm. you were right I mean, obviously we're moving across a completely different franchise. It doesn't matter. When you see it in Temple of Doom, you sort yeah. of think, you guys do know there's other food. Like It's like they've gone out of their way to find what are the worst things. What's the most disgusting thing we can eat? Well, they have snake surprise. The eye soup. The eye soup. Monkey head. Mon- chilled monkey brains. Yeah. And they have the bugs. Where they lick the things out of their shells. Yeah. But that bloke loves just it. Just have an apple. That bloke there, he loves it. Yeah, and there's a guy who's feeding himself, two, he's holding two snakes and he's just yeah. sending them down his throat. And it's like... Why would you like that? Of course they wouldn't taste good. He's like a salesman for that company. He's like, ooh, chilled monkey brains. Yeah. <laughs> not, not nice. What are you doing? So, Bond's been captured, and then that's, that, that then leads on to the backgammon game. Yes. It? Yeah. No, that's when he first arrives in. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and we and he's got. I'll use my player privilege. Yes, and he has to shake that little, very satisfying noise of the plastic with the dice in it. Yeah, I've never had one of those. Yeah, double six mm. every time. Amazing. And he's also the reason why he's so popular with the ladies. I've realised because for most of the film, he's walking around with a Fabergé egg down his pants. That is one of the worst concepts for a James Bond film, where they go. So the whole thing's about an egg, a fake egg, and then a real egg. Yeah. This is why the first half's worse than the second, because you have five to ten minutes dedicated to an auction where people are betting on an egg. Fake egg. Yeah. As Donald Trump would say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, in, in the past, of course, all fake Fabergé eggs were delivered by dead clouds. Yeah. That was normal. It was like the milkman. And yeah, the auction's really weird, because he makes this switch that you're supposed to be like, wow, but you can see it's really shit. It's rubbish, yeah. yeah. And it's sort of thing, I judge, the, I judge people for falling for it. Absolutely. Yeah. They're all fucking stupid. Yeah, you have, a, you have a lot less respect for them for doing that. And then you get Stephen Burkhoff, as I mentioned earlier. He, he's got this plan about taking over Europe. He's going to invade At the very least, to, yeah. To begin with. Yeah. And it, it, this has always been suspected from the start because they're like, well, the Soviets are behind this. And if that's the case, and they're like, well, world domination is going to be a going to be a theme. It's always a theme. But he, because he's a Russian, he has to say the word decadent in the 80s. They all have to say it. The West is decadent. It's like they, in these films, they hate the West almost sort of at their own expense. Yeah. You sort of think your lifestyle is in no way desirable because you only see the, the military side of it. Mm-hmm. You only see them permanently in uniform, permanently yelling and looking uncomfortable and living in submarines. Yeah. That's the only side of their life you see and you sort of think, well, what do you want? What, do, yeah, what would you like? exactly. Would you like to go to California for a while? To New Yorkie. Yeah. Something like that. Anything. He, he looks quite convincingly as the, um, not the main, well, as is his position in the film, not the main Bond bad guy, but that sidekick, the dangerous sidekick. That's what I think he fulfills that role quite well. This is my problem with it. I think it was one too many. Well, how do you, wait, how do you mean? This... Well, there's Kamal Khan, who yeah. is the bad guy, who we should be focusing on. Yes. And then we've got Burkhoff doing all this business. Yeah. And then you've got this other plot about the jewellery. Well, you know, fabricating all the Fabergé uh, eggs. Yeah, but that, and then you've got I, a nuclear bomb that turns up later, and then you've got octopusy, and it's just like it's difficult to focus on. Maybe I'm thick. But no, it's no, difficult I think, to focus I think, on. Really, despite being the title character, octopusy seems like a distraction from the main yeah. plot of the film, and and actually confuses things somewhat. Absolutely. In fact, the whole kind of Indian plot does. The Burkhoff plot should be the A plot. Yeah. Because he's planning to blow up the whole world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All Kamal Khan's doing is delivering a Fabergé egg. Yeah, well, I think the problem with Kamal Khan as well is... I think it's an issue that you get with Bond films where the main bad guy is... One thing that they usually do as a similar strength is that they're always very wealthy. Yeah. And they're always very wealthy, always very powerful. And as a result of that, you don't see them doing the dirty work. You never see them actively killing someone. At worst, you'll see them press a button and someone falls in a shark tank, but you never see them, like, kill someone themselves. And as a result, it's quite difficult to see them as, for want of a better word, dastardly. Yeah. Because you don't hate them. Because they haven't done anything... Absolutely. ...wrong. Like, for instance, I really liked Javier Bardem's character in Skyfall, but at the same time, I was sort of thinking... He hasn't really done... I haven't seen him do much wrong. No. And so it's hard to... It's hard to hate them. You, it, it, the film is based more on you rooting for James Bond than you disliking the villain. Yeah, I mean, in Skyfall, he steals a... Boy, he steals a hard drive, that's it. Yeah, and he technically... He runs the risk of getting a lot of spies killed. Yeah. Also, he crashes a tube train and he infiltrates a tribunal and shoots a lot of people. So he does bad things. Yeah, and he also, he's got the horrific facial disfigurement <coughs> that you'd expect of a Bond villain. These ones all just seem fine. Apart from Burkhoff, he's got his very much bulging eyes. He is. He's very crazy. Yeah, he looks like a, he looks like an Indiana Jones Nazi. Well, he turns up playing the same role in Rambo 3. No, really? Yeah, he's a Russian general in Rambo 3. Okay. Anyway. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So then um, Bond goes to meet Q, who we've fully established by this point hates his job. Yeah. And doesn't really care. As we discussed earlier, your opinions going into Bond films are based on the first Bond film you saw. And the first one I saw is World Is Not Enough, which has essentially no gadgets. And even then, this this film did not have enough gadgets for me, despite the fact World Is Not Enough is about two. Are you forgetting the man who was climbing up the Indian rope trick for no reason? That's not, that's not a... How is that applicable in the field? Yeah, it's not at all. It was really, really strange. And also, I feel... So, in Q's lab, you never explicitly see someone die. No. But you're so aware that in every film, you only get to see a 30 to 40 second cross-section of Q's lab. Yeah. And people are on the verge of dying. Yeah. Every time. Yes. Someone's got... He must Suffocated. have had... There must be so many deaths. Yeah. Goldeneye's a really good one for that. That's yeah. a very funny scene. That's and the then, phone box one, isn't it? Yeah, and then, it, then there's the baguette as well when he goes, that's my lunch. That is a good punchline. Yeah. But in this, you get the problems keeping it up cue, which is quite funny. Uh, ish. The, the, I really bad one again is, to, again, to return to World Is Not Enough, when it's John Cleese. Someone has those bagpipes and it's a flamethrower and they... Again, it's like, well, what situation would you need that in? And they burn a mannequin and then James Bond says something like, well, someone's got to pay the pipe. Like that. And mm. it's like, what the fuck does that even mean? Yeah, like, there's doesn't. no his catchphrases are so bad, and also he only ever uses them once someone's died. In which case, it's like a man has died. Yeah, just have some decorum. You don't know their name. You don't hate this henchman. You just killed them. He's got a wife and kids, and instead yeah. you've gone stick around. I know that's an Arnold Schwarzenegger one, but they even say we wouldn't say at the funeral, would you? That's what. I no, exactly. Like if, you, if, you, if you've got nothing nice to say, don't say it at all. That's right. Um, but the, you also can, in this scene queue, you have one of the greatest cinema moments of the 20th century of the Titsu. Yeah, that's an odd one as well because it's, also she looks. She's probably the youngest adult you see in the film. Yeah, and that's not a pleasant. No, film. I, I, I can't. Does it look like she's consenting for the tit zoom? I she's not aware. She's not aware. She's definitely not aware yeah. because the screen is... So basically it goes like him, it, or like a metre in front of him is the screen, mm. and then a metre behind the screen is her. Yeah. So unless the screen's double-sided, she can't see it. No. But that's worse. That's just voyeurism. It is. But he seems to quite like it. Potentially one of the greatest moments of the 20th century. 
Yeah, people sometimes say it's always oh, that shot in Jaws where they simultaneously zoom in and zoom out. But yeah, that that actually, but it's just oh, it's a breast-based zoom in. Is that I would like to see an Oscar's montage of the greatest shots for cinema with that interspersed yeah. some <laughs> classical music playing behind. It. Yeah, yeah, and also a next year's in memoriam section for the Oscars. Yeah, yeah, because his face when he gets caught is quite funny. Mm. He's like, oh, sorry about that. But that's his face throughout the whole film. Yes. He's got a series of facial expressions, and all of them are sort of like, oh, I shouldn't have been doing this thing. That's a very good impression. Oh, thanks. Does that come with the name? Uh, yeah, yeah, you're born with it. You should just strike Glenn from your name now, just be Roger Moore. I should, because, like Highlander, there can be only one. Yeah. So, yeah, I probably can now. Hang on. The rules of Highlander are very clear. You haven't, have you? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just for record, no. No. Good, yeah. good. I'm glad we got that on the record. Um, but then you get the point later on where Bond tells uh, this lady he fancies his room number. And then is surprised when he's captured. Yeah, well, he shags her first and she goes off. It's one of the worst Bond blunders next to in Doctor No, where they're imprisoned and they get given that food. Yeah. And he goes, it's fine, we can eat this. And yeah. just get poisoned. Yeah. And I was like, what were you expecting? Yeah. Well, as, as, I, as I mentioned in our Doctor No episode, I don't understand why they were poisoned at that point, because they were already captured. Yeah, them. yeah, exactly. Like, what, what do you want to do for them? This is, um, yeah, this is another bit of a film. And, and, and this isn't even like this him thinking with his penis it's like you'd still exercise caution yeah because he, he literally says he's at, that, at this point he's like oh hello and she's like oh you why are you in india and he's like oh you know i just like being in india and then he's basically here's my room number come up she has sex with him she leaves via the window mm. he's captured taken to kamal's house locked in then when he finally escapes you get the triple whammy of telling a snake to hiss off uh, right, this is the worst bit of the film. This yes. is this is the worst bit of the film. And then saying, sit Yeah, tiger. so uh, he says it in such a weird way, but I was like, is that a pun? I... Especially because he says, hiss off. Is that, it, it, he just says, sit so awkwardly, and it's a sit. I've written it down, S-I, and then four T, so yeah. it's sit. It's really it's, strange. It's because, I think, this is my theory, and someone tell me if I'm wrong. At the time, there was a lady called Barbara Woodhouse, mm. who was on telly, teaching everybody about how to... To right. Train your dogs, and her catchphrase at the time was "sit, good boy," that sort of thing. Right. I think, and I'm probably wrong. I think it's, a, it's supposed to be a joke about Barbara Woodhouse because it's a tiger, and he's telling it to sit. Doesn't that really undermine the, the status of a James Bond film? Well, no. Do you know what I mean? To go for such an obscure thing, and it feels like if in say Die Another Day, which was what like 2003. At some point in Die Another Day, he goes, you are the weakest link, goodbye. And you'd be like, and so like 14 years on, it's the most dated idea, but you're still aware that it's like, that's the Anne Robinson line. It would have improved it though. Yeah, probably, because you would have you would at least gone, oh, I'm laughing at how bad this is, as opposed to, I'm just not enjoying how bad this is. Yeah. But then he uh, then does the Tarzan role as he's swinging through yeah, the Yeah, do you know what? I, so I looked away from the screen at that point. I think I was pouring myself a drink. And so I heard the Tarzan roar and then looked up to see him swinging through a tree and it was like, didn't, did he? Yeah. Like, you don't have to make that noise. If anything, like, he's trying to get away from a situation, don't draw attention to yourself. Yeah. With the, the tiger thing, especially because as well, Roger Moore was in Live and Let Die, which he leaps across all those... Crocodiles. Yeah. Alligators. Sorry. But he's got a Dr. Doolittle-esque quality that maybe this is the first Bond that can communicate with animals. Yeah. Because he does... His words have an effect. He says sit to the tiger, and the tiger sits. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get better by the snake. No. So that's a parcel tongue thing. The snake probably goes away thinking, that's a bit rude. They need to hiss off. When he says stuff like hiss off, 
Who's that for? Is that for him? Is that yeah. for him to no, laugh? It's at? for him. It's for him. But just think that. You'll tell just me. Think, later. I'll tell this later. Yeah. yeah. But just then say, and I, I tell you what I wanted to say. But also, like James Bond definitely doesn't have any friends. I, I remember I had a book when I was about ten, and I've still got it at my parents' house. Very big bumper Bond sort of encyclopedia with yeah. loads of information about him. And there's a very specific bit where it says James Bond doesn't have any friends. It's just a weird sentence out of comment. Says James Bond doesn't have any friends. But the whole book feels like it's been written by James Bond in very much one of those. You know, like those old Chuck Norris memes of sort of like yeah. the, these are all things you can do um, and it had a picture of some glasses and it was like James Bond sometimes wears glasses as a disguise but they only have plain glass in them Bond has perfect 2020 vision <laughs> and if the book had been written by someone who's like a real sort of Smithers Mr Burns yeah. relationship where they're just so subservient to the idea of James Bond and we all like to write our own reviews wouldn't we yeah I mean he did he does have Felix Felix is technically his friend but I don't think he doesn't treat him very well. Yes, and also we we have established that this is that this is a film where James Bond only does as much work as he needs to. So yeah. the implication is there that he, he wouldn't hang out with colleagues. No, I, I'd imagine he sees friends very much as a. Not interested in that. Well, just as almost like a sort of, not a commodity as such. He, he does have a good relationship with Felix throughout many of the sort of films, but they don't chat about anything. He goes on a revenge mission for him, doesn't he? Yeah. So he obviously quite likes him. Yeah. He just doesn't want to show it. No. He's not, he's not a modern man. Like, at least in with Daniel Craig's Bond, they make it clear that it's sort of like, look, this is a flawed man, and his flaws are on show. You can see how he's aware of his own weakness. In many ways, Roger Moore's Bond is more sinister because he's so comically suave that you yeah. sort of think well I know you hate yourself I know you drink too much and you hate yourself there must be so much going on in your head in many ways the Roger Moore Bond is the number one contender for cry wanking yeah. <laughs> you can imagine him going back home and like thank you for a lovely evening good night shutting the door and then <laughs> but also like so the amount of people that he has very brief relations with over the course of those films so the implication is he has many more outside of the films as well that again like we were saying with like a, a drug addict eventually you'd need to go on to more bizarre things to enjoy yourself yeah. so surely by the time he got to a later Pierce Brosnan one for instance the only way he can get off is like someone sets him on fire and, yeah. and, and he's like I mean, I mean it's like doused in a bathtub full of ice while someone's strangling him like surely that's when you see him just like in bed why does the last thing he's to my Jesus um, I want to see that bit in a bomb <laughs> but that's the thing yeah. no, you never see it cut away to a roaring fire and when it comes back <laughs> something deeply sinister and violence going on it, when you see them just sort of like romantically in bed together and you sort of like that's messed up because how are you still into that then yeah. how are you still into just the most bland relations with someone that you know you're not going to see again yeah. How that that's what I find really strange unless he specifically gets off on the idea of yeah just plain old missionary really is my thing that's yeah. always been oh, my you, thing. you definitely imagine this, this he must have seen his parents having sex or something and that as a result he's got to like replicate that probably like really like horribly as well like proper fetish sex yeah yeah 100% yeah, yeah. yeah. like with giant sort of comedy style hands <laughs> or something anyway so uh, <laughs> There's a bit that made me laugh because you know when Bond gets away yeah. from Khan's place and goes to Octopussy's house? Yeah. Khan comes, not like that, walks through the door and says, Bond got away. And then she goes, oh, he's here. I bet Khan was really glad he didn't slag him off. <laughs> he, he didn't know he was in the room. Yeah. <laughs> Bond, Bond's escaped and he stinks. I tell you yeah. that. Oh, he's there. Oh, God. But as soon as he goes, like, he's there as if Bond's going to be like, oh, why the fuck would you say that I'm right here? Yeah, 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 he goes with Octopussy and then she tells him that she's called Octopussy because my dad loved Octopi, so he called me Octopussy. 
It's a good like... thing he didn't like big cocks. <laughs> it's just, well, why would you even think octopus as a name? It, yeah, and for like a relative. For a daughter. Yeah, it's real. like, you know the connotations. Do you know what I mean? Like, don't play with this sort of faux innocence. You know exactly what you're calling your daughter. But even if you don't, it's so vague. It's like, oh, that thing over it's there. It's so bit, vague. It's a bit it's so vague. It's dismissive. Really strange name. And also, obviously this was a name that would have given her grief for years. Yeah. And just then she, like, names a circus after it. Do you know what I mean? She, like, she wears it as a badge of honour, which means either she is proud of it or she hates it so much she's trying to own it. She's trying to absolutely take ownership of that. But what, what would you even call her as a short name? Oki? Octo would be a more, I mean, that's more like a Marvel super villain, isn't it? Yeah, and you can't call her pussy, can No, you? because there's already been a Bond girl yeah. called that, so... Also, it's got awful connotations, as you say before. Well, yeah, but it's just, it's just, it's really, really strange. Now, I know that this is an original story, but I don't mm. know how many of the characters are based on Ian Fleming. So I don't know if those characters appear in the books at all. No, I'm not sure, and I know that by this point, they were just kind of snatching things from different stories. Like, even, yes. the, even the egg being called Property of a Lady is a Ian Fleming is a, story yeah. in itself. So, I don't know, unless their surname is something like Smith or Jones... So people could have called her Jonesy. Yeah, like she's avoid got a real whole... name, surely, yeah. Yeah. So, like, what do you mean you loved Dr. Pat? I'm like, what? Yeah, I know. I mean, seriously, what is he? Perhaps he's shouting. Oh, when I was a kid, my, I loved wasps. Like, octopus, but not, that's not a fun thing to be acquainted with. Yeah, and I imagine she definitely called her dad wanking on octopus. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I've noticed that Bond has got a lot of high-waisted trousers in this. Yeah, he's not a... I mean, they must really affect his running ability. Or he wore them to be... So that he's got an excuse for that he can't run fast anymore. And yeah. it's not an age thing. It's like, well, no. If you were wearing these trousers, what would you be able to do? He dresses like... He dresses like a wealthy businessman within a Bond film. He doesn't dress as a spy. He's not convincing as a spy. You pick him out of the crowd. But not someone who went to Savile Row. Someone who goes to M&S. Yeah. You know. not, yeah. Slacks. It's like easy wearing. I'm sure he's probably got like a, one of those walk-in baths. Oh, yeah. That's that's good. A stairlift for cosmetic reasons. Arthritis, probably. Yeah, 100%. Um, but then he gets this, oh, God, the bit where he pretends to get eaten by a crocodile because that man with the deadly yo-yo comes along. Yeah. Which I thought, as a kid, I thought that was quite good. But now it seems really impractical and stupid. It's just easier way. A sword or a gun. But there's also, there's too much sword usage. Mm -hmm. In the train at the end, when he makes the slightest noise, and so the guy then just like angrily decapitates the gorilla gorilla mannequin. There's easier ways of doing that. But there is an excellent joke with the gorilla suit, which I found out the other day Roger Moore improvised. What's the joke? Well, Roger Moore's hiding in a gorilla suit, right? And one of them says, do you have the time or something like that, when Burkhoff's talking to Mm. Kamal kind of thing. And Bond, in the gorilla suit, instinctively looks at his wrist dressed as a gorilla and then puts it down quickly like if that's like um, good luck thank you it, like it's yeah. like a level of stupidity yes. like how could you be one of the world's best like I, I think it's like such an excellent cover blow in Inglorious Bastards where Michael Fassbender mm. asks for three drinks yeah. but he gives the British hand signal for three and yeah. not the German one for three I mean imagine if you ask someone for the time and a gorilla mannequin at the back of the room just instantly <laughs> be like what the, what the hell what the hell <laughs> But yeah, apparently he improvised that in the day, and so they left it in because they thought it was funny. That is funny. It that is. like it is funny, but my god, it undermines. Yeah. It really undermines. Well, luckily, no one saw him. I think it was only when he moved that they realised he was dressed as a gorilla. And he, managed... well, he, he doesn't move, does he? he makes, doesn't he make a noise? Oh, he knocks something over, doesn't he? Yeah, he knocks something over, and then as you see him decapitate the gorilla, you see Bond climbing up yeah. through the ceiling. But I wanted to go back to when he escapes from the Yo-Yo Man. Yes, and he gets in a crocodile boat. Yeah, that's stupid. It feels all a bit live and let die, and I, I kind of like live and let die to some extent. But again, a bit like Octopus, it feels like several separate films. My problem with living that, living that die was that stupid sheriff character. J.W. Pepper. Like, me and my cousin Billy Bob. Like, just, yeah. it's so, it's just crap. It just ruins Jane. It just ruins 
the atmosphere of a Bond film. And so similarly, this felt a bit like that. This felt a bit like the same sort of thing. It's just a rubbish bit of the film. It's really, really rubbish. Yeah. Because you don't, as well, because you've got the disappointment because you're like, you're not sure if this is going to be the climactic kind of scene of the film and you're like, oh, I hope it isn't. I hope this isn't. Well, no, luckily for you, it goes on for another three hours. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a long one, isn't it? To about oh, two hours. Two hours, 11 minutes. Mm. And I haven't looked if it's the longest, but it felt like the longest one. Really? Skyfall's a good two and a half hours. I remember that much. Um, but then we get the, uh, yeah, as we were talking about earlier when he dresses as a clown and tries to save the world. Yeah. You get Stephen Burkhoff dying a quite boring death, I thought. It, it feels a bit like a, an early Sean Connery one where it's just mm. like, oh, someone would just get shot. Yeah. But in those films, not many people got shot. Whereas in this one, plenty of people get shot. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like it separates. Yeah. Maybe that's an effective part of the film. It's not very often that you see a bad guy dying in a not very dramatic death. I, I think it would be such a good part of the film if, if you had a series of protagonists in a movie and one of those main protagonists gets shot with the, the same lack of pomp and ceremony as, as a henchman would and mm. the film just sort of moves on entirely from it because that's, that's what life is. Yeah. That would be really interesting. But I feel like, even though it happens in this film, I don't feel like that's a deliberate measure. No, absolutely. But it feels like, I just feel like the Berlin segment, once they get to Berlin, it just feels like it's in a different film. Like, going back to what I was saying earlier with Kamal Khan and everything. Mm. Um, but once Burkhoff goes, you get back onto Kamal Khan, and Bond defuses the bomb. Yeah, that is a really good bit of the it film. Is. If he wasn't dressed as a clown, mm-hmm. it would be really good. The train chase, I thought, was really, really good. In fact, the knife throwing in the circus, I thought, was really good. Yeah. There, there are bits which are quite sort of tense, but they're very short and they're few and far between. Also, him on the train, and this is, again, in, I'm sure we'll cover this in a, in a moment with the big sort of finale as well. When he's clinging onto the train, it feels quite, the effects are really good. You know, that feels like a big step up from a previous Bond film. Stuntman was horrifically injured doing that stunt. Really? What happened? He was hanging on the side of a train and he didn't see a sleeper post and it hit him on the hip and, like, fractured his pelvis. He managed to hang on. That's impressive. It is impressive. And then he was out of action for like six months. Yeah, he was fine in the end. But it was a horrific injury. Yeah. So I always think that when I see that train scene. I think, oh, yeah. Yeah. Ah, yes. Well, the uh, henchman, Kamal Khan's henchman. Yes. He gets killed quite unceremoniously by having an aerial twanged into his face. Yeah, okay. So that's, again, the final bit with the plane. I thought was brilliant. Yes, it and is. And I very imagine good. it in in the early eighties that must have looked excellent. And mm. it, it hasn't really dated. When the camera pans out, you're like, but there are two people on a plane. They're on a plane. That's as advanced as the most re- recent Mission Impossible. Yeah. Where Tom Cruise is clinging onto the wing of a jet. Like, there's only so far you can go like that. It was so good. Yeah. It was such a good bit of like genuinely that moves the film up an extra star regardless of what star you give it out of five or ten. Yeah. That alone gives it more kudos. It's so it's a really really tense bit apart from the fact that the henchman is killed by a twanging aerial. You sort of think if you manage to cling on that far and the moment James Bond leaps from a horse onto that jet and the jet takes off, he must think. Yeah. Like you think, well, how am I going to get out of this situation? How on earth would I get out of this situation? Yeah. And also that henchman where he goes, get on the wing and deal with him. Yeah. Like, if you have a henchman, you'd be like, how? Mm. How on earth would I do that? So the henchman puts up a good fight, but also I don't really enjoy. It's a really strange part of me that doesn't really mind death in films, no matter how people die or anything. I don't enjoy watching people fall from tremendous distances. And it's not, from, it's not like a fear of heights thing. I just don't like the fact that you hear this horrible scream and then it cuts away, and you're aware that for the next 10 seconds or so, they're having to come to terms with their own death. No, that's, that's awful. Good. The same yeah. thing happens in Indiana Jones. It's almost played for sort of comedy, sort of up towards the big sort of finale. When Indiana Jones escapes from that pyramid, and uh, yes. there's a big car chase of the Nazis, and he knocks a jeep off the road, and it falls off a cliff, and you just see them all fall off just screaming. Like, I know they're Nazis, but poor guys. Well, they're Nazis, aren't they? Yeah, but it's been, you know... 
But they're based in Egypt. They weren't doing any really bad stuff. They're just excavating things I shouldn't. That's true. Yeah. But that, that, that finale is really, really exciting. But then I sort of felt like Khan dies in a... Almost just part of a blunder. Yeah, he goes on he, land, he lands badly. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense that they roll out and just land on the ground and they're fine. But momentum right. would throw you... You'd probably die from landing or you'd just roll off the cliff as well. But he, um, surely the momentum of the jet would allow him to land normally, but instead he just curves around into a clip. Yeah, it's a bit crack, isn't it? Yeah, having having had such an exciting bit just before it. Yeah. But then, weirdly, again, that's oh, it's pretty much, oh, God, yeah, that's the other dick joke of the film, isn't it? Because the next time we see Bond, he's in a hospital bed, he starts kissing a girl, and then his, his leg in a plaster cast starts to rise up. Does he? I don't remember that bit. He's on the boat at the end, isn't he? Well, he's in, he's in a cast, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. Yeah. And then she starts kissing him, <clears> and, then, and then a plaster cast starts to rise up, and you think, oh, girl, you're in your 50s. How is that enough for you? Yeah. Again, to go back to really strange, he's obviously got an, he's got a real issue. Yeah. I, think, I think he's just really turned on by the mundane. I think so. Well, when you're excited, you're on a whole life of excitement. Yeah, maybe that, ma- yeah exciting. You know that completely makes sense. It's a tipsy-turny world. It's the opposite of Crank with Jason Statham. Exactly. Yeah, you can't have sex publicly in a theme park. He's got to have it just in private. Instead of calling it Crank, call it, like, boring. Yeah. Or, like, mundane. Yeah. So a man who's, like, high-octane all the time has to go and, like, watch chess mm. to, to get off. And then, weirdly, and then it just ends. Yeah. She consists him like, oh, James. And then it ends. Yeah, I mean, the credits just start rolling, and you're yeah. like, what? 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 But I also wanted to say, you know when Octopussy's circus raid Kamal Khan's thing? Yes, and they utilise their abilities <clears throat> very well. It reminded me of, do you know, have you seen uh, Monty Python and the Meaning of Life? Yes. You know that man who gets to choose his own way to die? Yeah. He gets chased by those top of the Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like all the guards yeah. in that ha- castle were like, right, I want to be killed by lots of yeah, acrobatic also, because, women. Because they also, they don't get killed. They all get knocked unconscious really mm. gently. Yeah. And I think I'd be like, like, if I was a henchman and I could see I was getting attacked, I think I'd just say to him like, can you just gently knock me out? Because then you know I can't raise the alarm because I'll be unconscious. Don't kill me. Don't be, you know, don't, don't knock my teeth out. Don't do yeah. anything that would cause permanent damage. Just put me in a sleep hold. Oh, mm. put me to sleep. That's fine. But I mean, great. Like, oh, yeah, excellent. Be great when you woke up and everybody's dead, apart from you. But it's not a bit of a film, especially when they raid the mansion and there's like three women in bikinis with machine guns and you sort of thing. Again, this feels like a Roger Moore fever dream. Yeah, it feels like a lot of people. Middle-aged fever dream. <laughs> yeah, like everybody yeah. on this film is middle-aged, yeah. pretty much. Well, I, mean, I imagine J- uh, Roger Moore for a whole process of me that film was like, I'm James Bond, oh yeah, I'm mm-hmm. James Bond, so cool. Yeah. I, felt, I felt like he was really quite sort of smug about it because he almost shouldn't really have been James Bond by that point. No, he should have gone before the last one. It, it, it is a bad film, but the effects... The effects aren't good, because I'm, I'm of the opinion that... I mean, obviously, this is the early 80s, but the 80s and 90s, I thought, were the pinnacle of special effects, because that's as far as we got with practical effects before we moved on to CGI. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at the difference between, like, like the first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible film in, like, the mid-90s, in comparison to an action movie in the early 2000s, like Matrix Reloaded, which utilises loads of CGI, yeah. Mission Impossible's dated so much better, because... Those were practical effects, and that was the best we could do at practical effects. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're still nowhere near the best we can do at computer animation. Yeah. I watched Kong Skull Island the other day. At no point you like, hey, that's actually a gorilla. Yeah. Like it, at no point you convinced it's still. Obviously, it's moved a lot in the last ten years, but it's st- you're still very aware that it's not there yet. And mm. practical effects are still just so much better. So it's a real explosion. Kong Skull Island would have been better if it was a giant Roger Moore, though. Anyway, we've reached the point when I ask you the quick-fire question. Who is the best Bond, in your opinion, and what is the best Bond film? Okay, so, I, this is probably sacrilege. I think 
and I feel like I can't say it because he is the current James Bond. Uh-huh. But I think Daniel Craig's the best James Bond and Skyfall's the best Bond film. But I feel like I'm not allowed to say that because not enough time has passed. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like you need, the amount of times I've watched a film, I remember coming, going to see Interstellar at the cinema and then as I left, I was like, I think I'll make one of the best films I've ever seen. And then six months later, I was like, I mean, it was great, but it wasn't. It wasn't one of the best films I've ever seen, but it was great. But I still haven't had that change of heart yet about Daniel Craig or Skyfall. Daniel Craig's only flaw, in my opinion, is that he hates being James Bond. And as a result, you feel silly for enjoying his films. Yes. Because you're so aware that the person making it doesn't like it. He's the Jose Mourinho of acting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. So, uh, in your opinion, what's the, the worst Bond film, and who's the worst Bond? Um, the worst Bond film I've seen was probably Moonraker. It just wasn't noticeably a Bond film. Uh, who's the worst Bond? Yeah. Do you know what? I just didn't like Honor Majesty's Secret Service. I've got to say George Lazenby. That's the only thing, if that's okay. anything I've seen him in. Good. Um, and who would you have as Bond next? I think Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. I, th- I, I genuinely think he'd be the best. I, th- I, I think at the moment it feels like it would be a toss-up between, in terms of the biggest names going for it, I think it would be between him and Tom Hiddleston. And I think Tom Hiddleston is just such a fucking goon. Mm. That it's... Especially when you watch Kong, Kong Skull Island as well. Yeah, he's, he's just... Supposed to be this SAS person. There's no self-awareness. He's just so... Like, you can just tell he wouldn't be able to succeed in any form of fight. And he's not suave either. He's just... It's like, if if so many of us are making fun of him already, then what on earth would he be like as James Bond? Yeah. Whereas Idris Elba, I think everyone's under the impression, we'd lose to Idris Elba in a fight. Mm -hmm. He'd charm his way into any situation. He's tremendously suave and charismatic. I, I, I think he's at that right age where you've got a grizzled James Bond. I think he'd keep that Daniel Craig that quite dark tone. And I, 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 dark, dark sort of overused now, so, but, and so's gritty. But just in terms of, right, it felt like Piers Brosnan was, was great to some extent, but then it started to seep into Roger Moore territory. And Daniel Craig tone of, right, let's make this a serious film where you get the occasional joke, which is really effective in, in making a new atmosphere. But if you can make a really solid film that can be taken seriously, then I think Idris Elba would 100% be the best. Great, okay, good. Uh, so Bond is full of stupid names like Money Penny, Small Bone, Good Head. Oh, we forgot to mention Small Bone. She's Small Bone? Is it Old Pussy? Yeah, she was Money Penny's younger assistant. Oh yeah, she did about 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. She was called Small Bone. Mm. So there you go. Uh, good Head. So give me your best Bond lady name. Uh, it really, uh, I, I think the best one would be one where it's like, it's, it's genital related but it's not sexy, so it'd be like, Felicity circumcision. Oh, I like that. And it would be sort of like, oh, is that is that yeah. sexy? This is not really sexy. Okay. Give me your best Bond film title that you've just made up. Forget tomorrow again. Oh, that is good. So, um, a hypothetical fist fight takes place between Simon Templer the Saint and James Bond 007. Who wins? James Bond. Okay. He's never shown any. He's never come close to dying. No. At all. And also, no. he's managed to not. Well, his, his age has fluctuated wildly mm. over the course of fifty years. He regenerates. Okay, so finally, you're stranded on an island with Sean Connery, George Lazenby, Roger Moore, Timothy Dalton, Pierce Brosnan and Daniel Craig. Who do you elect as leader to devise your rescue attempt? And if it fails, who do you eat first? So, it would make sense to eat Roger Moore. You can't say that. <laughs> can't say that now. <laughs> but in the current situation, like, is this in the present day right now? Yeah. But it, I know this is wrong, but it All right, really let's, let's say, for, for con- sense, contextual, contextual purposes, let's set this five years ago. Five years ago, okay. Yeah. So who, all right, I would elect Sean Con... No, Timothy Dalton seems of most sound mind. Mm-hmm. And I think you'd have to eat Daniel Craig first because he's in the best shape. So it would make, it would just completely make sense to do that. Good. 
Glenn Moore, thank you so much. Thanks a lot for having me. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye. Smash Pop. Great big.